Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments uh, this weekend. Uh, Before we jump into our message, just a reminder uh, to download this app called the YouVersion. It has all kinds of Bible translations, amazing reading plans for just about any topic of interest to you. And if you'll uh, go to the lower right-hand corner, open the uh, menu, click on events, search for Arlington FM, you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, we are in a series uh, called Dawn Treaders, and it's uh, from uh, Paul's amazing letter to Rome. And it's based on this passage towards the very end of his letter. Uh, Paul writes, all of the commandments that God has for people are summed up in this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so uh, Paul brings us to the very heart and soul and mind of God for people, is that we would love others as we love ourselves and do no harm to our neighbors. And he says, and now, and do this, because you understand the present time. Paul will write that the hour has come for us to wake up from our slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. And he writes out, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know, uh, Paul's uh, uh, invitation toward the end of what many uh, agree is the most theologically comprehensive writing in the entire Bible. And uh, it's incredibly inspirational. And and Paul brings this uh, amazing uh, 2,000-year-old document uh, to this pinnacle. He says, really, everything that God wants for people can be summed up in this, that we would love others, love our neighbors as ourselves, do no harm uh, to others, knowing that the night, the darkness is nearly over. And the new day that Jesus Christ has initiated, uh, the dawn's already rising, the sun's coming up, and it's time to live into and toward that day. It's kind of like this picture of Mount Everest. You know, Paul uh, gives the goal of our Christian faith. It's this great commandment to love people the way that God loves us. That's the summit that we are heading to. And Paul's entire letter his deep, his theological, his inspirational, his practical letter, uh, everything, uh, our steps toward that summit of fulfilling the commandments of God to love people the way that God loves us. Uh, It's a step uh, away from a life that is distant from God and into a life that uh, has the handiwork and the fingerprints of God, where God shows up Uh, every day and every way in the practical experiences of our lives. You know, uh, this move from darkness to light, uh, putting off the deeds of darkness, putting on the armor of light, uh, I kind of thought of that when I uh, saw this this, uh, rescue story rehearsed uh, on social media this week. And uh, here's a picture uh, of a sewage pipe uh, that a two-year-old toddler fell into that pipe and uh, plummeted. Uh, down into the depths, and you see they're there at the edge of that pipe. Uh, you can only imagine uh, the grief and the panic that was in his heart as he realized that his toddler has disappeared from sight. 
down this uh, sewage pipe and uh, no one was able to figure out. They could hear the child well down below the earth, but no one was able to figure out how in the world we can rescue uh, this little baby. And they found someone in the crowd and whether uh, they picked him out or he volunteered, you see this picture of a 14-year-old boy and they thought, you know, well, he's, he's slim enough, he's slender enough that maybe we could uh, tie a harness to him, uh, send him down head first until he reaches this, this baby down there. And, uh, and so they did. And they told him to extend your arms out over your head so you don't get stuck on the way down or the way back up. And immediately I'm getting creeped out. You know, all of my claustrophobic buttons are being pushed. And, uh, and then this last image you see when the boy was extracted uh, from this uh, sewer pipe uh, with the uh, toddler in his arms, uh, there was great joy in the camp. And, uh, you know, that picture of moving from the confinement uh, of that sewage pipe uh, to being rescued, to being out in the open air is, is kind of a picture of what God is inviting us into when he says it's time to leave behind a lifestyle, behavior, attitudes that, that are characterized as darkness. And it's time to move into the light, uh, to bust free from those confines of a life that's surrounded by darkness and move into one that's influenced by the very presence of God. And uh, we saw in week two that this journey uh, to the summit of, of learning to love others the way that God loves us and fulfilling God's greatest commandment uh, must start with a decision to stop judging people. Uh, because the, the reality that Paul says is uh, we're all in the same broken boat. We're all in a place of hopelessness without the intervention of God. And if we're going to stay on that pathway that leads into that better place, if we're going to emerge from that hole in the ground that we all found ourselves in, uh, then we have to make a decision that it's not my prerogative to judge people whom Jesus came to save. Uh, well, the title of today's message might surprise you, and uh, I want to uh, unpack it through the words of Paul's teaching in chapter 3 of his letter to the Romans. But uh, here's the title. Is church good for you? Uh, is church good for you? And, uh, you know, you may think when you hear that question, what do you mean is church good for you? Of course it is. You know, the church is the bulwark of truth. The church is the, the temple of God. It's the family of God. Uh, some people have said the church is the hope of the world. Of course, church is good for you. But maybe when you hear those words, is church good for you? You're thinking, well, that's a dumb question. Of course it isn't. You know, the church has been the source of so much pain. Think of the Crusades, the division. Uh, it's almost like an incubator for bigotry and judgment of others, exactly to the contrary of what Paul said. And uh, so, you know, that may sound like a strange question, but it's kind of what Paul asks at the beginning of chapter 3. Here's what he says. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? And so Paul is posing this question. Uh, what value is there in having a heritage of faith? What value is there in being marked as someone who is among God's people? 
Or in our words, uh, is church good for you? Well, here's what Paul says in response to that. There's great value in every way. And uh, he points to, in, in his mind, what is the greatest value of being uh, among God's people? He says the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Uh, and so Paul is saying, look, if you, if you wonder what the value is in being among uh, people that are called, chosen by God, uh, here it is. They have the truth about God. Uh, not someone's surmisings, not someone's ideas, but the revelation of God himself as he has entrusted it to people. And so Paul says, look, uh, one of the greatest benefits of being among God's chosen people is that uh, you're, you're near to the, the reality, the truth about God. Uh, but as Paul goes on in chapter 3, he essentially says, look, though God's people had the truth, they couldn't live up to it. They didn't respond to it. In fact, they misinterpreted the truth about God in many ways. And uh, here's kind of the point that Paul brings out uh, in this uh, response to his question, what value is there in being a Jew or in being circumcised? He says, essentially, being around the truth uh, does not and did not guarantee a response to the truth. Uh, that's really important. Being in proximity to the truth doesn't guarantee that there'll be a response to that truth. And so uh, after dealing with this uh, failure on the part of God's people to respond to the revelation of God uh, by obeying the commandment of God, uh, Paul asks the question again. He says in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Is there any advantage at all in being among God's people? And his answer may surprise you. He says, not at all. There's none. For we've already made this charge that Jews and Gentiles alike, God's people and people distant from God alike, uh, are all under the power of sin. And see, uh, Paul is driving home a point. It's not location that is the issue, whether we're insiders or outsiders. It's not who we hang out with or associate with. Uh, the issue is that we have a sin condition. And whether you are uh, among God's people, the Jews, or uh, an outsider when it comes to the truth about God, we're all in the same boat. We all have a sin condition. We all have a terminal illness. Uh, what advantages are there in having a heritage of faith? And Paul is saying, really, uh, there are none if you don't respond to the truth from your heart. Uh, see, again, proximity uh, isn't really the answer to our need. It's a response to the truth as God has revealed it. Uh, you could say it like this. It's what we do with the truth about God that determines its benefit to us. It's not just being someplace where we hear truth. It's not being among people who diagnose and dialogue about truth. It's, it's how we respond in our hearts to the truth that determines uh, whether or not that truth is of benefit or any usefulness to us. Uh, that's exactly uh, what Jesus uh, was trying to communicate 
when he told uh, what many people call the parable of the seeds and the soils. Uh, Jesus told a story about the way that people respond to the truth about God that he came to reveal. And he said there's, uh, there's different responses. There's hard soil, there's rocky soil, there's thorny ground, and there's good soil. And each of them has a uniquely different response to the revelation of God's truth. To some, there's no impact. To others, uh, they start by responding to the truth, but when it gets difficult, out they go. Uh, the third, the thorny ground, they just get distracted. There are too many things that preoccupy their thoughts and their attentions and their affections, and the, the truth about God gets choked out. And then finally, uh, Jesus uh, boasts about uh, good soil. And these are those, he said, who when they hear the truth about God, uh, their hearts align. There's a resonance. There's a response. Uh, and so uh, Paul, uh, as he's uh, responding to this question, what value is there in being a Jew or having the marks of circumcision? And he concludes, really, there's no value uh, in the association. It's all about the response to God's truth. And so he says in verse 20, therefore, uh, no one will be declared righteous in God's eyes uh, by the works of the law or if they're associated with uh, people who value or hold up the law. He says, rather, the law, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And now uh, Paul begins to uh, bring into clarity what is a good response to the revealed truth about God. That's an important question because our response, again, will, will determine our experience of God and our alignment with God and will uh, determine really whether or not we arrive at that pinnacle, that summit where we're fulfilling the commandment of God to love people the way that God loves us. And uh, uh, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says uh, the, the first healthy reaction uh, to, to the truth, to the law of God, is we become conscious of our sin. We become aware of how far short we fall of the glory of God. Uh, someone said, uh, the truth will set you free, but it may make you miserable first. And that's exactly what Paul is uh, pointing to, is that an accurate response to the revealed truth about God is that we become aware of how desperate we are. We become aware that uh, sin is not just something we occasionally do. It's in our DNA. It's in our very nature. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge part of us that doesn't want God meddling with our prerogatives and our free will. And as uh, Paul wrote in chapter one, uh, when there's this um, fear about the goodness of God and the power of God, there's a drift away from the influence of God. And uh, Paul is saying, look, the healthiest reaction to the revelation of God's truth is to become conscious of our own sin. Uh, I think of that uh, amazing uh, picture in uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter six. Uh, Isaiah goes through uh, the call of God on his life and uh, he's given an amazing revelation. The curtain is pulled back and uh, Isaiah is allowed to see eternal God uh, as he is dwelling in never-ending praise 
and uh, Isaiah has an interesting response. Uh, when he saw what he saw, he, he basically said, I'm a dead man. Well, here are his words. He said, woe to me, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, uh, Isaiah became profoundly aware of his sin problem and realized that uh, the words of his mouth reflected the condition of his heart. Uh, this response uh, to the revealed truth of God is very similar to what happened with Peter, this fisherman who Jesus called to follow him. And uh, one day, as Jesus was teaching uh, from Peter's boat, he said, put out a little bit further and let down your nets for a catch. And against Peter's better judgment, he had fished all night and caught nothing. Uh, he let down his nets. And if you know the story, as they pulled up the nets, they were so full of fish that the boat they were in began to sink and the boats of his friends began to sink from the size of the catch. And uh, Peter, uh, in a moment, realized that the truth of God was with him in his boat. He had an interesting response. He said, Lord, depart from me, for I am an evil man. What was happening? Uh, Peter was becoming conscious of his sin, of his brokenness. Uh, here's the point. When we see the truth about God fully revealed, uh, the only appropriate response is to realize uh, our desperation, our brokenness, how far short we fall of the perfection and the goodness of God. And I would say this, uh, when we become conscious of our sin, it doesn't have to be one of shame, uh, appropriate guilt, uh, but shame is not the reaction that the truth about God incites uh, because shame has to do with punishment and uh, God's truth revealed first has to do with forgiveness and healing and restoration. As we saw last week, it's the kindness of God that leads people to change their minds about his nature. Uh, you know, it was like my, uh, my early days as a follower of Christ uh, when I begin to see who God is and what God stands for, uh, I begin to become conscious, uh, become conscious of, of how, uh, how incongruent my life and my lifestyle was with the will of God. I remember shortly after becoming a follower of Christ, uh, offenses started coming to my mind, uh, things that I'd done to people that I needed to make amends for. Uh, on one occasion, uh, reading my Bible, trying to be a good Christian, I was reminded of something I'd done in high school with some friends, and uh, we saw uh, someone's car parked that had uh, disappointed us in some way, and uh, we took it upon ourselves to stop and do damage to that car, and it actually belonged to the person's parent. And uh, years later, as a new follower of Christ, reading my Bible, I became conscious of that offense. And I went and I looked up uh, that person's parents, went to their home, I didn't see the car there, thank God, but when I knocked on the door, uh, I confessed my sin. I said, you recall that time when your car was uh, damaged and uh, I just wanted to let you know uh, I was one of the people who did that. I apologize for that. Uh, I've trying to turn my life around. I began to 
have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and uh, he, he reminded me of that offense against you, and I wanted to apologize and offer to pay you uh, for the damages. Uh, this gentleman looked at me. He said, well, uh, insurance covered everything. And then he cracked a smile, and he said, uh, it had to take some courage for you to come up here and do what you did, and I just wanted to let you know I admire that. Uh, but see, it's that kind of awareness of our brokenness, of our offenses, that the truth should provoke in us. And uh, I would say this, uh, can, you, can you, with sincerity, uh, say today that uh, I am a broken person and I fall short of the goodness of God? Can you say that uh, with conviction and own it? And honestly uh, proclaim, uh, I am a broken person, and I fall short of the glory of God. See, I happen to believe that if we don't have that consciousness of our own sin, we become dangerous people. We're dangerous to ourselves, and we're dangerous to others. It's much like this uh, woman named Mary Mallon. Uh, she came to be known as Typhoid Mary. Uh, in Mary's eyes, uh, she thought she was really healthy, but she didn't know that she was carrying the typhoid virus. She infected at least 51 people, uh, three of whom died, and yet she herself was a picture of health. Uh, I think that's a, that's a good analogy. Uh, when uh, people who are around the truth, but they don't allow the truth to make them conscious of their own sin, uh, we become destructive and damaging to others. And uh, I would say this too, uh, if you cannot say that I am a broken person who falls short of the goodness of God, uh, you not only uh, become dangerous to others, you cannot experience the joy of forgiveness. Uh, hear that again. If we can't say in all honesty, I'm a broken person and I fall short, desperately short of the goodness of God, we not only become dangerous to other people and ourselves, but we cannot experience the joy of forgiveness, because uh, here's the truth. Uh, if it's through the law that we become conscious of sin, through the gospel, we become aware of the amazing grace of God. Uh, through the good news of Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, his resurrection, his pouring out of his spirit upon people who called on his name, uh, through all of that, we become aware of the amazing grace of God. Here's what Paul says about that. Uh, he says, now apart from the law, uh, the righteousness of God, the activity of God on our behalf has been made known, uh, to which the law and the prophets testify. See, saying the entire Old Testament uh, pointed to this reality. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin, but through the good news of Jesus Christ, we become aware of the amazing grace of God. He says, this righteousness, this activity of God on our behalf, it's almost God himself going into that tunnel, into that sewage pipe and finding us. It's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference whether you're an insider or an outsider, a Jew, a Gentile, a church or a non-church person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely without works, without cost, without paying a price. How? By his grace, through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and then this accent, uh, Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He covered over our offenses, over our brokenness, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And see, uh, it's this consciousness of sin that bursts in us uh, an eagerness to receive and stand in the grace of God. Uh, you could say it like this, in the kingdom of light that Jesus came to establish, uh, it's the blind who see, it's the poor in spirit who are satisfied, it's those who hunger and thirst after righteousness who are filled, it's the last who are first, it's those who cease from their good works or their labors who find rest, and it's the ones who are desperate for mercy who experience forgiveness, and there really is no advantage to our heritage of faith unless it causes us to align with the truth about God. We're like Isaiah. We say, woe is me. Like Peter, we say, Lord, depart from me. I'm an evil person. And, and yet we, uh, with all the people who've experienced grace throughout history, we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And so Paul uh, ends by asking this question, uh, where then is our boasting? Uh, is it, it is excluded. It's driven out. Uh, we no longer uh, look to our own efforts, our own goodness, our own moral virtue. Uh, boasting is excluded on this basis, uh, on the basis of the law that requires our good works. No, because, uh, because of the law that requires faith. Uh, for we maintain, Paul says, that a person, any person, is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Uh, see, when we boast, uh, we put ourselves above others. Uh, when we boast, we think that there's something virtuous about us that others don't possess. Uh, when we boast, we start slipping back into this, uh, what Paul warned against, uh, last week, that if we judge others, we bring condemnation on ourselves. And uh, people who are aware of their own brokenness, conscious of their own sin, uh, desperate and receptive to the grace and mercy of God, uh, boasting gets displaced. It gets driven out, and it's replaced instead with a lifestyle of gratitude. And so I would end uh, by asking this question again, uh, is church good for you? Is your association with the truth as it's revealed in the body of Christ, uh, in the pillar of truth, in the temple of God, is the church good for you? Well, here would be my answer according to Paul's own words. If church is influencing you to become more conscious of your sin, and it's leading you to an ever-increasing gratitude for the grace of God expressed to you in Christ, then yes, uh, church is good for you. Uh, see, that's really what is at the heart of Paul's point here, is that for people who are aware of their need for God's mercy and who've embraced the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, it, it provokes, it ignites, a life of, of gratitude, of, of giving unto others as God has given unto us and unto you. I want to end uh, with a story that Jesus told about this reaction 
to the truth of God. Uh, he's trying to describe what this kingdom of light that he's inviting people into, uh, pulling us out of that hole in the ground and liberating us uh, to a life live, live towards the dawn of a new day. Uh, and so he, he uses this analogy. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, uh, that was a lot. Uh, in fact, I think I read somewhere it would t have taken this man like a thousand years uh, to earn enough to pay off his debt. And uh, he was uh, brought to the king. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So uh, you're going to give what you have, whether you like it or not. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Yeah, the king must have thought, yeah, right. Uh, but the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. And if you're one, one of those listening to the story that Jesus is telling, you're probably cheering at this point. Yeah, uh, remarkable, amazing. You're astounded by the generosity of this king. Uh, but Jesus goes on. It says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a, a much smaller amount. Uh, in fact, a pittance compared to what he had been forgiven. Uh, and uh, he found one of his fellow servants and uh, he grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And, and now these familiar words, his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Almost the exact same words uh, this man had said to, uh, to the king. Uh, but now this surprising reaction, verse 30, uh, but this man refused. Instead, uh, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they said, you scoundrel. They were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, and uh, he gave him his comeuppance. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And you might think, okay, I get the point, uh, but now Jesus really, uh, the coup de grace, uh, here's the real point of his story. Uh, Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive others or your brothers, your sisters from your heart. Uh, what's he saying? Uh, the goodness of God is meant to provoke goodness in us towards people. The mercy of God is meant to provoke mercy in us toward others. The kindness, the generosity of God is meant to awaken in us a heart of generosity and a lifestyle of gratitude displayed toward others. That is the pinnacle to which Paul's letter to the Romans is taking us. That love does no harm to a neighbor and out of the tender mercies of God, we live this life of worshipful gratitude. Uh, uh, I want to ask you to pray with me. Uh, Father, we just want to thank you right now for the, the 
the light of your word. Uh, thank you that the truth comes into our darkness. And, and Lord, there's so many ways that we can respond to your truth. Uh, we can put it on plaques. We can write it on postcards. Uh, we can put it on our computers, uh, put it on nice images. Lord, all of those things can be good, uh, but they should all bring us to this awareness, a consciousness of our own sin, uh, an awareness of how desperately short we fall of your glory. And Lord, that's the starting point. It's what brings us to your gospel. It would, it's what brings us to, uh, like that servant, uh, begged to be forgiven of our debt. And as that king uh, forgave him his entire debt, we thank you, Father, that that's your heart. That's your desire. Uh, but it's really, uh, there's a string attached uh, your desire, Lord, is that that heart that we receive from you, that generosity, it's meant to awaken in us that similar generosity toward others. And Lord, I want to confess uh, too often, uh, too often I find ways to, to critique and judge and uh, not forgive those who disappoint me, who believe different from me, who have different values, who vote differently and stand for different causes. Uh, Lord, how easy it is uh, to turn from that great generosity, that forgiveness, that mercy we receive from you and give something quite different uh, to the other people in our lives. And uh, Lord, may we be shocked by your word uh, that we would see that that actually provokes our heavenly father to, to anger uh, when his kids respond that way. And Lord, may we have a, a better response to your truth uh, may we, our hearts align. And if you're hearing this message and uh, you realize you've never uh, embraced the truth about Jesus Christ, uh, you've never reached for that mercy, uh, maybe you've allowed your awareness of your brokenness to keep you distant from God. Uh, I would say to you, that's the very thing that can catapult you close to God. And in fact, the Bible says he is near to those uh, who are brokenhearted. He does fill those who are poor in spirit and who hunger and thirst for righteousness and so uh, i would lead you in this prayer uh, just say lord jesus i believe that you came i believe you're the revelation of god i believe that you taught the way to god uh, i believe that you died on a cross for my sin and you rose from the dead uh, to become lord of all uh, i believe that i want to receive that uh, i want to uh, be rescued from that pipe in the ground that I've fallen into, and I want to come into your light and into your truth. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, uh, forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. Uh, help me to begin that journey uh, towards the pinnacle of your truth. Uh, help me to learn to live out that great commandment to love people the way that you love me, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.